Time has not always been measured. Not in the way that we measure it now, in years, months, days, hours, minutes, and even seconds. As we measure time with such precision, time becomes a non-renewable resource that must carefully be managed. We dare not waste time. Humans have created complex systems to extract as much as possible from every moment of every day. The unhappy byproduct is that we find ourselves with almost no room for savoring our joys and accomplishments. Though time cannot accelerate, the blind sprint in which we are caught makes us feel as though time goes by with increasing speed. Our lives are stuffed and stressed. Anxiety threatens to erode our souls. As we run faster and faster on the wheel of life, God's word whispers what can only seem absurd to us. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Be at peace. God lovingly and patiently moves at a sustainable pace and rhythm, but it is too slow for us. Yet the clock ticks on and time rushes past. We need to pause, to reflect, to listen to our patient God who lives and moves and breathes patience. This series will seek to redirect us toward the patient posture of our God, the God of the universe who is never anxious. Good morning. My goodness, you can like feel the stage shaking with the reverb of that ending note. I'm like up here like buzzing. (laughs) Well, my name is Danya. Um, I am the children's pastor here at New Hope. I also get to serve on our teaching team and um, I'm so glad to be with you this morning. This is week four of our series, Practices of Patience. Um, I wanted to direct you to the phone number that's going to appear up there. Um, We're taking questions throughout the service, so if you'd like to text that phone number, Isaac will bring me his phone, and I will do my best to field your questions at the end of the message. Well, would you stand with me this morning, and we will begin by reading our scriptures together. I will read the references, and then if you could read the words with me, that would be wonderful. All right. Luke 10, 41 through 42. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Ecclesiastes 3, 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every action under the heavens. Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, I want to start out this morning by introducing you to the newest member of our family. Take a look on the screen. There she is. Our beaut. Now, you might have noticed, I don't know if you have, but gas prices have been going up. Anyone a little bit tired of it? I know I am. 
Well, I found this old five-speed manual Toyota Corolla on Craigslist, and Isaac and I snapped it up to get the better gas mileage. If you want to send in name suggestions, you can text those to the phone number, too. <laughs> we, we haven't named her yet. Hey, I didn't say shout-out names. I said text them. Well, let me tell you this. It is a, quite a bit more work to drive a manual than it is to drive an automatic. Am I right, Natalie? Are you in here? Yes, she has a manual. She knows. You know, you've got to work the clutch. You have to shift gears. You have to use both hands and both feet. Let me tell you, I can't just drink my coffee while I'm driving that thing, especially not when I'm driving in town. You have to pay attention to RPMs. You have to listen to the engine. And I just want to give a shout out to Isaac right now because he would have some amazing sound effects to do for you of what it sounds like to drive a manual transmission. I can't. I wrote the word vroom. That's all I got. <laughs> I have to say, I like the higher gears. They're smoother. They're faster. But inevitably, I'll see a red light in the distance and know that I have to shift down. And I find myself feeling annoyed. I find myself feeling impatient. I don't want to slow down. I don't want to be interrupted. I don't want to shift gears. I don't want to do the work that it takes to go at a different speed. I just want to get where I want to go fast. Well, there is no doubt that we live in a fast-paced world. Most of us are accustomed to keeping ourselves and our households moving from one event to another at a fast pace. It's normal. We have all sorts of activities to keep up with, so I made a list. I'm a list maker. So I made a list, and I'm wondering if you might be able to find yourself in this list. You actually probably could add to it, so I'm going to read them to you. School and work, events and hobbies, shopping and errands and church services and extracurricular activities and chores. Ugh. I don't like doing chores. I did a lot of chores yesterday. Anyone else do Saturday chores? Mm-hmm. Youth kids? I hope so. You have games and tournaments and clubs and sports leagues and newspapers to read and books to read, hopefully, and budgets to balance and bills to pay and home projects and car maintenance and appliances to fix and dental appointments and medical appointments and orthodontics. I know there's a lot of orthodontics in this particular section of the room. You know, we have parent-teacher conferences coming up this week, vacations to plan, meals to prepare, expectations and our families and relationships to fulfill. And then when we finally get through all this and have a chance for some downtime, we have something else to contend with. And this is very unique to our specific time. Two-dimensional content right? I was thinking about this week. This is important. We need to understand the toll that these little guys take on our lives and on our time. So I got some stats for you. I got them from a fact-checked article on zipia.com, so hopefully the information is good. Did you know, this is astounding, that 86% of the world's population, the world's population has a cell phone, a smartphone, 86%. That is 6.65 billion people doing this all day. 
okay? Now, Isaac, I have a question for you. Why didn't we invest in Apple stock all those years ago? I mean, you're an you're early adopter. We should have been on that train, but we, we did not, sadly. Did you know that the average American uses their phone 96 times a day on average for a total of five hours and 24 minutes every single day? What? How is that possible? Well, let me tell you, it is. And that's just the average user. Um, okay, now, did you know that these minutes used on our phones are not actually used for the purposes of connecting with people? Oh, no. 90% of the time, you and I are using our phones to access apps. 90% of the time. So as a result, our phones buzz and ping with endless notifications, texts and emails to respond to, notifications from friends and family chats, Marco Polos to watch and record, podcasts to listen to, blogs to read, vlogs to watch, video games to play, and virtual pets to feed. What? what? I... I I don't understand it, but I, I know it's a thing. We have movies to watch and other streaming content to, we have quoted a new word, binge, right? We have daily wordles and quirtles and nerdles and globals. And let me tell you, I love them all. Anyone in here wordle? If you did it, don't say what it is. I haven't done it yet today. Have you quirtled? Oh, just, just one, two, three? Oh, guys. Let me tell you right now, if you haven't quarreled, you haven't lived. Come and find me after church. I will show you the goodness of the quarrel. Oh, and the nerdle for the math people in the room. Oh, amazing. Okay, so we have all of those things, right? We do searches and peruse internet sites about any and every little thing that just pops into our head. Probably got some kids on their phone right now. I can see them on there. You know? They are. They're Googling. I ha they're probably doing the wordle. It's my fault right? This last, uh, or the week before last, Isaac and I, we were watching a movie called The Iron Lady. It's about Margaret Thatcher and her older years reflecting back over her rise to being prime minister in England. It's a great movie. Highly recommend it. We were watching it, and here's the funny thing. I found myself so fascinated about what was happening on the big screen that I needed to get out my little screen and Google more things about Margaret Thatcher. So then I was actually watching her on the big screen and reading about her on the little screen all at the same time. Okay? Like that was real relaxation. That's what we call relaxation in our culture. Okay, so now I have a question for the whole room. And I want you to be honest, and I'm going to ask for a show of hands. Who here has fallen into a real hole? Yeah, see a few people. Oh, people were not ready. They were like, someone else go first. And then it was like, okay, trickle effect. Okay, a real hole. If you don't know what this is, it's basically just getting lost in the minutia of all the videos that you can watch on like Instagram or TikTok or whatever, and just scrolling through and through and through. I actually want to share with you a video that I found recently.
<laughs> but it is astounding how much time we can waste watching video after video after video. Now, the real hole is just the beginning because we also have Instagram posts to write and Snapchat streets to keep going and TikTok and Facebook and Be Real and instant messaging and Twitter. And there's always like a little red alert on our phones, like drawing our attention. Now, I used to get excited when I got alerts telling me I had messages. It was like, oh, people love me. They want to they wanna connect with me. Now it's like all I can do to make them go away, right? <laughs> This, these things have robbed our recliners of any form of rest. And I want to state right now that I am not disparaging any of this. Obviously, there's great fun to be had and connections to be made. But I am making a sincere comment that all of this combined can be like having a part-time job. Five hours and 24 minutes worth, right? To keep up with all of this, we shift into the highest gear possible, and we live with our engines continually revved. Patience is not at home in a world like this. Instead, we find ourselves feeling impatient, overburdened, disconnected, and honestly, pretty be bewildered at times. We might be tempted to believe that this state of being is just, you know, a modern day problem. But the scriptures give us an account of how worry, distraction, and anxiety played out in the life of one of Jesus' close friends. And, of course, her name was Martha. That's right. Let's pray. Well, Lord, I want to lift up our church this wonderful, precious body of believers here at New Hope. And I pray that you would help us to be those who would assess our lives, who would bring our apps and our phones before you and our to-do lists under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would be the Lord, not only of the harvest, our work, but also the Lord of the Sabbath. And I pray that we would be those who are known as those who say, I, I don't say I don't have time, but who would be those who sit at the feet of Jesus, knowing that this is the posture that will bring us true transformation and where we can walk out truly the way of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would be speaking to us this morning, convicting us with your love and gentility. And Lord, I thank you that you are not a God of um, demands, but you, you do have a better way. May we engage with it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Brendan was talking about this morning, Luke 10 brings us the story of two sisters, Mary and Martha. If you're not familiar with it, I'm going to tell you the story. Martha had invited Jesus and the disciples to come over for dinner. We love to do that, don't we? We share this in common with them. And it was at her home that she shared with her sister that they came. And Martha was preparing a glorious feast. She was cooking and cleaning and hosting and serving drinks. She was doing all the work while Mary just sat there. Martha was more than happy to do all this work and more for her Lord and her friends on the outside, but on the inside, she was seething. Anyone ever been there before? I definitely have. <laughs> 
Her pleasant smile had turned to plastic. It became forced, and finally, she can stand it no more. Do you hear the grit in her teeth? She marches right up to Jesus, and she demands, Jesus, make her help me. And we read Jesus' response, and this is what he says. We said it at the beginning. Brendan talked about it. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus gives Martha the answer we all love. He says no. (laughs) Now, as a person who constantly finds herself in Martha mode, I have to say, I find his response just a a wee bit unsatisfactory because it's kind of like, you know, Jesus, somebody's got to do the work. You want to eat, don't you? (laughs) So who's going to do it? You... But in the wake of such stark correction, in the wake of Jesus' gentle but firm no, we need to pay attention. So we're going to look at two modes that we find these two lovely ladies in on this faithful night. The first is, we're going to call it Martha mode, which is really unfair because I bet Mary was sometimes in Martha mode and, you know, vice versa. But we're going to call it Martha mode. This is to be distracted away from Jesus. Luke 1040, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. So let's ask ourselves the question, why was Martha distracted? You know, There was a reason for it. Her culture was one that valued hospitality. Reverence for women in this culture was directly related to their submissiveness and their domestic prowess. So Martha would have been taught from a young age um, that the role of a woman is to enact the values of hospitality in the home, to cook and to clean in the home. That's what women did with their lives. Very different from our culture where women have a menu of options from which they can, you know, gain identity and how they can spend their time. Wonderful. We are are blessed. But for Martha, there weren't any other options. This was the way things were, period. Thus, Martha was distracted by the demands her culture had placed upon her by virtue of her gender from the very moment that she was born. So uh, listen to this quote from Dr. Prescott. This is about women living in the Greco-Roman culture during that time. Here's Here's what he says. The rabbinic writings consider women primarily in her relationship to man as she comes under the authority of man and can contribute to his well-being. This is how they thought. Woman is placed in a domestic role in which her mind and energies are directed to fulfilling a man's needs so that the man's mind and energies can be devoted to worship, study, and work outside the home. Women who fulfilled these domestic obligations were held in high esteem. Okay. So Martha should be held in high esteem, right? Martha was actually doing what she was supposed to be doing. 
And she wasn't exactly wrong in her assumption that Mary should be doing the same things because every person in that house that night would have had the same expectation that Martha and Mary would be hosting and cooking and making preparations. So Martha is, you know, incredibly confident when she approaches Jesus. I mean, clearly, um, she thinks Jesus is going to have her back. And let's not miss that she starts the sentence with one very, very important word, the word Lord. <laughs> but she's telling him what to do, isn't she? Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Yet, Jesus sees right through her demand. He sees straight to the root of her distraction and breaks through a very specific cultural norm. And in doing so, he turns Martha's world upside down. Now, I want to take a pause here because I would assert that there is a time and a place to do what is expected, to work hard, to plan and serve just the way that Martha was doing. But on this particular night, at this particular time, Martha was missing her main priority. She needed to be focused on her Savior, and her Savior needed to redirect her. Gently, Jesus says, Martha, Look up. Look up and see what is sitting right in front of you. I am here. Come and sit with me. So that's Martha mode. Distracted away from Jesus. All right. The second mode is going to be Mary mode. Oh, Mary I'm such a Martha, so I get a little annoyed with Mary. Sorry. i got to work it through up here. <laughs> Mary mode. To discover the countercultural activity of choosing Jesus. And that countercultural piece is important. Luke 10, 42. This is what Jesus says about Mary. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, as somebody who has done a fair amount of hosting, which is an understatement, I've done a lot of it, I can feel the hustle and bustle of this home. I can feel the heat of the oven, the activity inside of Martha's mind as she, you know, multitasks and makes mental check marks off her to-do list. I can feel the buildup of work inside her body as it gets tense, you know, fueled by the sincere desire to serve her friends and her Lord and to do it well. I can, I can sense the stress, the impatience, the resentment. Yet somehow, in the midst of all of this, Mary has turned it off. Isn't that amazing? Mary, see, she's not simply being lazy or, you know, not helping. She wasn't just sitting on the couch scrolling her Instagram feed. And I think it's important for us as we look at this story to differentiate the activity that she was engaged with. She wasn't just relaxing or resting or ignoring her sister. No, Mary was discovering something. She was discovering that she can actually reject the heavy, burdensome expectations of her culture in favor of something better. And she has made a decision 
an on-purpose, concerted decision to ignore her role in the home and sit at the feet of her good teacher. Now, this is more profound than you and I could ever imagine. To sit at the feet of the rabbi was tantamount to being a disciple. And for a woman to do this would have been completely against the grain of this Greco-Roman societal culture where patriarchy was the order of the day. Where the female mind was considered inferior. In our modern setting, we are so used to egalitarian, equal access for all genders, women's rights, free will, individual choice. And so it's easy for us to miss how counterintuitive Mary's choice to sit at the feet of Jesus would have been. So I found myself asking, like, how can, what comparison can I make? How can I impress upon us how countercultural this would have been? So I, I, I wrote a little story. Once upon a time, I was young and in love with a tall, handsome Norwegian named Isaac. Now, Isaac was an exceptional young man, and so Isaac, when it came time to ask for my hand in marriage, you know, took a chunk of his meager savings, boarded a plane to fly to my hometown of Sacramento, California, to ask my dad for permission for my hand in marriage. My dad said yes, and we lived happily ever after. The end. <laughs> I actually have a picture. There he is proposing to me. Aww. Hey, look at those overalls, ladies in the youth section. I wish I would have kept them because I think they're in. Overalls are back, people. <laughs> okay, so Isaac asking my dad for permission was just a formality. He knew he didn't need my dad's permission, just as much as my dad knew that saying no really wasn't an option. <laughs> because we live in a culture where people fall in love and simply report to their parents and their friends and their family and their mentors and their pastors that they're getting married. And so here's where it would be really countercultural for us. Imagine that you or someone that you love was being forced into an arranged marriage. We, we wouldn't know what to do with it. It would be unheard of to us. This is the land of the free. We simply don't do that here in America, do we? So that kind of you know, comparison is just how countercultural Mary's choice would have been. She was assuming the posture of a disciple in a culture where women simply were not disciples. As Jesus said, Mary discovered something better. She was out on a ledge, and Jesus affirmed her. She was engaged in countercultural activity, and poor Martha didn't know what to do with it. You know, I actually kind of feel bad for Martha. She gets such a bad rap. The reality is she was just doing what she was taught to do. When it comes to trying to discern what it means to cultivate patience in our fast-paced society, we have to discover this better thing. And it will be counterintuitive. We have to resist the distractions of a thousand and one time fillers that are accessible to us at any given moment through technological innovation and discover that Jesus is right there waiting for us, waiting for us to look up. Isaac talked a few weeks ago about discerning the spirit of the age 
Ours is one of distraction and busyness where technology continually offers up a plate of too many good things. We live in a glut of entertainment and opportunity. We are obese with responsibility and distraction and entertainment. Like Mary, we can make a concerted choice to shift gears. Do my little thing. You know, I got in my van this last week, and it's an automatic, and I was like, where do I put my hands? I didn't know what to do. Anyway, Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time for all things. We need to discern when it is time to stop and sit at the feet of Jesus. We need to discern what we are to do with the limited time that God has given us. And as we choose to sit at the feet of Jesus, we have the opportunity to become people of patience. It won't just happen. A few weeks ago, Isaac defined patience for us in this way. Patience is not non-activity. It is the right activity. And I would add the right activity at the right time. That night when Jesus came to dinner, preparing a big meal, that wasn't the right activity. The priority was Jesus sitting right there in her living room. Consider the miracle of that. You and I, we're just like Mary and Martha. For us, spending time with our Lord will never come naturally. Never. But it is our foundational practice of patience. In a world that demands go. Go, 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 go. Now, we don't really know. Scripture doesn't tell us what Martha's response was. But I like to think that Martha put aside her pots and pans and turned off her stove. And I like to think that Martha took off her apron and hung it up. Maybe, you know, went and grabbed a a couple loaves of day-old bread and some olive oil and invited her guests to eat as they saw fit and went and sat next to her sister at the feet of Jesus. So the question is this. How do we shift gears and get beyond the frenetic pace of our culture? How do we get away from the distractions of life and discover, like Mary and Martha did, what is better. And I have a suggestion for us. Um, I think we need to engage in contemplative practices. Contemplative practices are a pathway to quieting the mind and engaging us in spiritual transformation and renewal. Oh, how we need renewal. Through contemplative practices, we can shift gears and sit at the feet of Jesus. The result is increased self-awareness, decreased anxiety, and a precious, elusive reminder that we are but dust. Psalm 103.14 tells us this. We are but dust, small, needy, dependent on God. There are lots of contemplative practices, but I'm going to direct our attention to, to just three. And if you are one of the 100 or so, pe so people who went through our Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course last spring, these will be familiar to you, um, but maybe, maybe we all just need a gentle reminder. So here they are, three contemplative practices to cultivate patience. The first is this, Sabbath. 
It's an old-fashioned word, but oh so relevant to us. Sabbath is the practice of shifting gears for an entire day every single week to put our distractions away and engage with the rest that God has freely given to us. It's a gift. Throughout Scripture, Sabbath is championed as a command for God's people in the Old and New Testament alike. Here's what Isaiah 58, 13 to 14 says. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day. And don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then, there's the promise, the Lord will be your delight. You know, I think the Lord was Mary's delight. I think that's how she was able to just, you know, force herself to go against the grain of her culture and be able to do what she did that night. We are promised here that the Lord will be our delight as we honor the Sabbath. Our God is a God of rest. He is not a slave-driving taskmaster like our culture is. And there is delight and joy awaiting us in the rest as we make space for it. Patience is the direct outflow of taking time to disengage from our distractions and delight in the Lord to discover him in our living room. The second uh, contemplative practice, it's actually kind of two, silence and solitude. But I squished them together because I think they go hand in hand. Silence and solitude, I mean talk about shifting gears. We do not do silence in our culture because we got things that keep us from ever having to be alone in our own minds. Right? I love these things. I use them to work out because, you know, then I don't have the cord and getting all tangled. I'm doing burpees and grabbing my phone, and it's just a whole mess. These are amazing tools, right? But they can also be a buffer between us and the intimacy of God. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still. Be still and know that I am God. There is something in the stillness where we know that we know that we know that the God of the universe is there and he is oh so much bigger than us. There is nothing like waiting on the Lord in stillness and silence to expose how drastically distracted and impatient we are. Sitting with Jesus in the nothingness of silence can be excruciating. I know this from personal experience. It's intimate, it's small. There's nothing necessarily accomplished. There's no measurable. There's only maybe questions that start to flood our minds. It's absolutely against the grain of everything we do these days. Did you know that studies show that spending time in silence can actually rewire our brains, increasing awareness, awareness of ourselves, where we're at, what we're feeling, you know, how we're experiencing life. Am I happy? Am I sad? Am I overwhelmed? Sitting in silence increases our empathy, our ability to hold other people in their own space and place, even if we don't share it or even agree with it. We can hold them in, in compassion and honor. Sitting in silence reduces stress. Sometimes I feel so overwhelmed by the millions of things racing through my mind. And I will just sit down and take a deep breath and close my eyes and allow the quiet to do its work. 
We become people poised for patience when we engage with a contemplative practice of silence and solitude. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, which I totally recommend if you ever want to read it. It's a short read. Um, This is what he says. After a time of quiet, we meet others in a different and fresh way. Hallelujah. I love this, the way he phrases this. He's just assuming this, so bear with it. Many a household fellowship will be able to provide for the individual's need to be alone and thus preserve the fellowship from injury. (laughs) In other words, times of silence, aloneness, even in our own households, will actually help us to be refreshed to be the people of patience we want to be in our own families. It's counterintuitive, but it's powerful. Okay, the third contemplative practice, scripture, scripture reading. Uh, There's a poem by Shel Silverstein. Any Shel Silverstein fans in the room? I love him. When I was in the first grade, I loved the poem Hungry Mungry, or Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout would not take the garbage out. Loved him. He he writes a poem, um, and I think it will help us illustrate how the average Christian approaches the scriptures. It's called Homemade Boat. This boat that we just built is just fine, and don't try to tell us it's not. The sides and the back are divine. It's the bottom, I guess we forgot. (laughs) They're all kind of drowning there. (laughs) Following Jesus is impossible to do without the scriptures. It's like forgetting the bottom of the boat and hoping that we're just going to get where we want to go. It'd be silly to think that we can build the boat of our Christian walk without the foundation of the scriptures. Yet many in this room, and I have compassion, I have been there, are trying to live their Christian life without this foundation, without the bottom of the boat. Now, spending time in the scriptures is one of the most practical, even tangible. You know, I talked about silence. It's not tangible, but this is a tangible gift that God has given us in a world filled with uncertainty and untruth. Let us not forsake the truth of God's word. So I've got some next steps for us. We're going to transition to some practical things that we can do to engage ourselves in merry mode, to discover Jesus sitting right there in our living rooms. The first is this. Self-assess. So this is an honest reflection about your life. What do you need to stop in order to sit? We are all disciples of our culture. What cultural distractions and or expectations do you need to refuse in order to discover the countercultural practice of sitting at the feet of Jesus? As I mentioned before, Martha was not necessarily doing anything wrong, yet Jesus corrects her and redirects her nonetheless. What is Jesus redirecting in your life so that you can spend time sitting with him? Um, recently, I had a friend urging me to get Snapchat. Uh, she's, you know, been able to keep connected with some of our other friends who live far away, and they send each other snaps every single day. And, you know, she invited me to be a part of that. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. So I, you know, got my app store up on my phone, and I started thinking about downloading it. And all of a sudden, I got really overwhelmed. I was like, oh, my gosh, if I start doing a snap 
you know, streak with her. I'm going to want to do a snap streak with someone else and a snap streak with my daughter and maybe my daughter's friend. And all of a sudden, I'm going to be trying to do, keep these streaks up. And the technology that's supposed to be a gift it becomes a burden. And I did not download it. And guess what? Guess what I get in the wake of that? A little thing called FOMO. Anybody? Fear of missing out? I'm on the outside of that. I ha- I, I, it's not a fun place to be, but I know that if I don't create a boundary somewhere, I'm going to forsake the more important thing. So, two things. In your three-dimensional life, the to-do list that I just shared, work and school and blah, 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 what is one thing, one thing that you can maybe just cross off that list? And then in the two-dimensional world, I have a challenge for you. Maybe delete an app. Just one. And I'm not talking about the Safeway app that you never use. <laughs> Actually, I use mine all the time. <laughs> I, I, you know, delete some form. If you are involved with every single form of social media, I, I mean, there's so many now. You might consider deleting one. Or delete a streaming um, platform. You know, we have a million to choose from. Delete one. Just delete one. Okay. The second thing that we can do is engage with the contemplative practices that we talked about. So the first one is reclaim your Sabbath. And I'm just going to leave it at that. I already talked about that. Find a day, any day of the week where you can put things down and rest. Um, The second, sit in silence for two minutes a day. We did this in Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, and it was hard. But as we do that, we increase our silence muscle. It's a muscle. you got to work it out, you know. What do they say? Um, If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Use it or lose it? I don't know. Try silence on for size. I think it could be healing for your life. And then read the scriptures. We, We have a plan. I don't know, maybe some of you are engaging with our scripture reading plan. Yeah, I see some nods around the room. Here's a plan. Um, it's, not, it's not too burdensome. It's pretty simple. Just a few scriptures a day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> Pick one of these up. They are on the tables as you exit the room. Read scripture. Oh, and if reading is not your thing, believe me when I say I understand that. And we are in the day of technology. If you don't have the YouVersion app, I'm inviting you to download that onto your phone because you can actually listen to the Bible. And if you're more of an auditory learner or you have a disability that makes reading difficult for you, you can listen. Take a walk. Walk with the Lord. Listen to the Psalms. Um, Okay, finally prioritize the discipleship loop classes that we offer here at New Hope. We've got a lot of them. Um, This, you know, our our discipleship loop will begin in January, and we'll do several rounds. Sign up. Be a part of these wonderful ways that we can grow together. Mm